So when I first, uh, back in August, when I first taught Tuesday night, I did First John chapter 1, and then uh, David Blades taught chapter 2. So tonight we'll be in chapter 3. And just a little recap of uh, this book, of this epistle. Um, this was written by the Apostle John. Uh, it was believed to be written in like the 90s AD, so 50 or so years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, John was a very old man when he wrote this. He was the last surviving disciple of Jesus. Um, and this John also wrote the Gospel of John in the second and third uh, letters of John and the book of Revelation. And this John is not to be confused with John the Baptist. Uh, and this is the John who was a disciple of Jesus during, his, during Jesus' earthly ministry. So when I taught uh, chapter one, um, we spoke about this uh, heresy of this teaching, false teaching called Gnosticism. And um, chapter one kind of, and I believe this whole, this whole epistle, John is a, was addressing that false teaching, um, which said that Jesus was not a real physical material being, that he was some kind of spirit or phantom or ghost. Um, and you know, the main, point, the main point of this book is to encourage believers to walk in the light of God's truth, to love one another, and to maintain fellowship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, while still addressing the reality of sin and its forgiveness. So chapter one addresses the fact that Jesus Christ's human nature uh, with John, highlighting the fact that he and others had seen Jesus with their eyes, they handled him with their hands, and they heard him with their ears. It also addresses the, the ideas of acknowledging and confessing sin, the forgiveness that we have in Christ and maintaining fellowship with God and fellow believers through walking in the light and doing things that please God. Chapter two addresses the idea of how we can be sure that we know him, that we know Jesus, and by, by, which, by which, by keeping his commandments, AKA doing what he says, Walking in the light and avoiding the temptations of the world while emphasizing the importance of love for fellow believers. So let's get into chapter three. I'll read like the first two verses, then talk about them. So verse one, uh, John first John chapter three, verse one says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So back up to verse 1. Um, so our status, my status, your status as born again, followers of Jesus Christ, makes us children of God. Um, how many of you know that you are a child of God? Amen, amen, yes. Uh, so he says, he starts off, behold, right? Behold, look at this, study it intently, 
right? Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. How much love God has for us to be called his child, right? We should, should, like, we should be thinking about that. God calls us his children, not his humans, not his people, not his, we are his creation, but he doesn't call us his creation. He calls us his children. Um, and that's, that's very powerful, right? We can stay in this verse and talk about it for the rest of the time, but we're not going to do that today. But it's just, you know, it's, when you really think about it, it's, it's saying a lot. Um, and this is a verse that can be easily read over, but, you know, John, via the Holy Spirit, wants us to behold this statement. Um, uh, as, as many of you know, I, I am a teacher, so I've taught first grade, I taught uh, kindergarten, I've taught seven, I teach seventh grade currently. Um, and, you know, I've, especially with the younger kids, I've had students, you know, I, I love all my students, right? Um, but I have favorites, right? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shy to, uh, to say that. Um, and especially in elementary, you know, the students, there's students that, you know, you, you like or you love them a little bit more than the rest, right? And, you know, as, as teachers, when you're talking to other teachers about, about these students, right, we tend to talk about our favorites. And, you know, every now and then you would call, oh, that's my, that's my son, that's my daughter, right? Just because you, you have this great, great love for them. Right, and not all students get called your daughter or your son, right? And I can say that I know I know Dan I know Dan knows what I'm talking about right now. We would not call every student our child, but you know, those special students that you have that special bond with that you, you love a little bit more than the others. I know that sounds a little it could sound a little harsh, but I mean it's true. We still love our we still love our students. Um so in that same way, right, God is calling us his children, right, his child. He, he, he loves us and he likes us, right? Um, so that's, that's something for us to behold, chapter 1, I mean verse 1. So if you're not feeling like God loves you, this verse should center you back. Um, and who calls us children of God? The Father does. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 18, says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And Jesus says it, right? He says, he is not ashamed to call them brethren, Hebrews 2.11. And this is Jesus speaking about us. We are his brethren. The Spirit calls us his children, right? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is Rome, that's Romans 8.16. So there is a sense in which this is a totally unnecessary blessing that God gives in the course of salvation and a demonstration of his true and deep love for us. We can picture someone helping or saving someone, but not going so far as to make them a part of the family. This is what God has done for us. And this is a major point of the chapter, right? I mentioned that I was a teacher. When, you're, when I'm teaching, when I'm preparing lessons, there's, there's a part of the lesson that I want kids to walk away with, right? And I try to stamp that into their, into their brains, right? I want, you to, I want you to leave class knowing this one thing, right? And this is the major point. This is a stamp of this chapter. Um, if we are truly children of God, right? We're born again followers of Jesus, right? There's only one type of Christian, a born again Christian. 
Um, if we are truly children of God, then it should show in, the, in our likeness to our Father and in our love for our siblings. It is important to understand what it means to be the children of God and that everyone is not a child of God in the sense John meant it here. God's love is expressed to all in the giving of Jesus for the sins of the world. Right? We, we read that in John 3.16. But this does not make all of humanity the children of God in the sense that John means it here. Here he speaks of those who have received the love of Jesus and a life of fellowship and trust with him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And that's John John chapter 1, verse 12. So, still in verse, still in verse 1. This is, a, this is a long verse. So he says, therefore, in the second part of the verse, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. So, right, the, we, we are called children of God. Therefore, because of that, the world does not know us because it did not know him. It did not know Jesus. Right? There's this difference or this opposition that you can face being a child of God because the world, by and large, is against God. Therefore, the world does not know you because being a child of God is an opposition of the world. The world also doesn't know you because they cannot relate to you. In this context, the world is not referring to the people of the world or the earth. It is referring to the humanistic system that is at odds with God. The system that appeals to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Things like religion, materialism, the love of money, greed, selfish ambition, the pursuit of power and fame. These are the things that the world values. Being a child of God means you're against those values. And it means that the world does not know you and cannot relate to you in your relationship with Jesus. Ultimately, we should expect the world to treat us as it treated him. Uh, so going down to verse 2. So it says, Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So verse 2 introduces this hope that we should have as believers, um, which is expanded on in the next verse, in verse 3. This hope is an expectation of something that will happen in the future that will change you, which, which we, you don't currently possess. Uh, you will be made like him, Jesus, when he is revealed. And then verse 3, building on this, it says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So if you have this hope that you will be made like him, like Jesus, then you will currently be right now, currently show that in your conduct and in your behavior. How? By purifying yourself just as he is pure. Uh, you know, purity can be thought of as being like Jesus because he was pure. Right. And this is something in my life that I struggle with. Right. There are aspects of my life that God still needs to clean up. And if I am if I am to be pure as he is pure. Um, so if you are feeling like this, the important thing 
is that you are actively striving every second, every minute of every day to be pure and to clean up the parts of your life that do not align with Christ. Uh, so let's go to verse 4. Verses uh, 4 to 6. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So verse 4, whoever's, whoever's, wh whoever sins is breaking the law. Whoever sins is going against the standard for righteousness that God has given to men, given to man. Um, I have this thing in my notes, but I'm going to pass. Uh, so I, I was going to ask, raise your hand if you are a sinner. If, it felt good when I was preparing. It doesn't feel really good now. It's, it's a little weird now. <laughs> well, yes, if you are a sinner, I'm also a sinner. <clears throat> you, have broken, <clears throat> you have broken God's law. But there's good news, verse 5. Verse 5, it says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Right? So that's the good news. Um, if we are followers of Christ, Jesus has taken away our sins, past, present, and future. And for this reason, he was manifested. And this is something I have to tell myself a lot. I am forgiven, and you are forgiven as well. Um, we must not beat up, beat up ourselves when we do fall, because we will fall. But we, got, we have to pick ourselves up. Um, verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So this is not saying that the Christian does not sin. This is not saying that if you are a Christian, you will never sin again, or you should never sin, um, or you shouldn't be sinning. We know that because in chapter 1, chapter 1 of 1 John, it encourages us to confess our sins and that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. In the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, he says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, right? So the idea here, the idea of sin here is sinning as a practice or sinning as this continuous action, right? Meaning that it is planned, it's done repeatedly, and with no real conviction or desire to stop, right? So it's, it's, it speaks of sinning freely without a care in the world. And we can read verse 6 as whoever, whoever, uh, let me read it from here, whoever abides in him does not continue in sin, Whoever continues to sin has neither seen him or known him. Uh, verse 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So John now sort of repeats himself in a different way from the previous three verses. Anyone who continuously, repeatedly does the right thing, right, practices it, 
right? I think about practice. If you think about, um, you know, you play basketball, you practice, right? You, you do the same thing over and over again, and, it's, and you're trying to get better at it, right? Like if I, if I go to the court and I'm sh I, sh I shoot 100 shots, I'm trying to get better at shooting, right? So this, when you think about practicing, it's something you're doing on purpose to get better at it. Um, so if you're practicing righteousness, you're doing it on purpose to get better at it, right? In, in a sense, um, you're, you're doing the right thing over and over again. Um, and you want to do the right thing over and over again. So anyone who continuously, repeatedly does the right thing according to God and his word is righteous just like Christ. Right? Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So verse 8, kind of um, kind of the opposite of verse 7, not the opposite, but the other side, right? He who continues to sin, not he who sins one time, you know, you're a Christian and you sin one time, doesn't mean you're of the devil, right? He who continues to sin is of the devil. Um, and Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. Uh, first John, oh, no. So when I was uh, preparing for this, I, I read this in the, the um, New Living Translation, NLT, and I thought that it, um, it spoke, it, it helped me understand this verse. So I'm going to read it in NLT version. It says, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, so they can't keep, keep on sinning because they are children of God. As a Christian, you should have this feeling inside of you that I cannot keep on sinning, right? You might fall, you might fall 50 times in 50 days, right, in the same sin, but you always have that feeling of I can't keep on sinning, right? You have that, you have that regret, you have that shame for a little, and uh, you know in your heart you'd never want to do that thing again. Um, so I got saved in December 2017, so that coming up on six years now. Um, so, you know, that means I repented of my sins. I asked God for forgiveness, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that same day in December, I believe it was December 3rd, um, and that same day in December, you know, his, his seed, right, his life came into me, and I became a child of God, you know, and I remember that day, I felt different, like I, I just felt lighter. I just felt like, you know, new, something, something was new, right? And I didn't fully understand. Um, and, you know, my sin of choice, you know, I, I, had, I had, had a lot of sins, but my sin of choice was, was marijuana. Smoked a lot of weed back in the day. Um, you know, and this is painful to say, but this is something I did every day. Uh, for for about five six years, every single day, um, 
And, you know, it's, it's something that I lied to my parents about many times. You know, I would, uh, I would go out, smoke with my friends, and I would try to wait until my parents went to sleep so I can come back in the house, right? Just so they wouldn't, you know, see my eyes, they wouldn't smell my clothes, they wouldn't try to speak to me because, you know, I was trying to hide it from them. And I would leave the house, you know, I would leave the house at like 5 p.m. or whatever, and I wouldn't come back till like 2 in the morning just to make sure they weren't still awake, right? Just so I can hide this thing from them. Um, so not only am I not only am I smoking, not only am I sinning by you know doing drugs, I'm also lying to my parents daily, and I'm kind of living this double life, right? And uh, so that so that that was what I was doing before I was saved, and you know it was, it was an everyday thing. So the you know around the time I got saved, my friends they asked me to go smoke, right? The, um, maybe the weekend after I got saved. And I just remember saying no, right? I remember saying no and being okay with it, right? And I was shocked at how easy I was able to say no. You know, like how I didn't have this like desire to go smoke. Whereas before, if I ever missed out on a time to hang with my friends and smoke, I would be, you know, I would feel like I was left out. I would feel like, man, my day wasn't as good because I didn't get to spend time with them and, and smoke, right? So. But that day after I got saved, it was just like, of course not. I'm not I'm not doing that. Like, <laughs> I don't want to, you know. Um, and you know, I was I was I was shocked. I, and I was shocked at how I felt and um, why I was able to say no so easily. And you know, connecting that back to this verse, right? In the NLT version, it says, uh, "Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning." because God's life is in them, so they can't keep on sinning, right? So, you know, God's life, you know, Jesus Christ was in my, was in my heart, and, you know, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, and that's, that's also not to say that I haven't fallen since then, right? You know, I've, since then I've fallen and I've, I've smoked marijuana at various times, right? during my six years of walking with Christ. And, you know, it's, it's still a temptation. It's still something that I have to actively, you know, fight again. But, you know, it's not something I enjoy. It's not something that I want to do. And every single time I have fallen, I've been miserable, right? Every time I, every time I picked it back up, miserable, right? God, God will not allow me to be happy and to enjoy smoking like I did before, right? I would always, I would feel terrible, terrible. And that's his love, that's his chastisement, right? Um, he, he, he's not gonna allow me to, to fall back into that, um, right? Because I have God's life in me and you all have God's life in you as well. Um, and I, I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of you can relate uh, to that story. Um, Right, because, because a child of God can't keep on sinning, God loves us too much to allow us to fall back into our sins with the same enjoyment we had before walking with him. Uh, verse 10. Verse, uh, verses 10 and 11 says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. 
for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, excuse me, that we should love one another. And I'll, uh, I'll stop there. So verse, uh, back up to verse 10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, right? This is, this is how we know who belongs to God and who belongs to the devil. Uh, those, who, those who are of God practice righteousness and love their brother. Those who belong to the devil do not practice righteousness and do not love their brother. Uh, verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So this is the message we heard, right? We, we are to love God and love others, right? And that's, it's, you know, it, it is two separate commandments, but you cannot do the first. You, you can't do the second without doing the first, right? There's no way you can love God if you do not love your, do not love your neighbor, do not love your brother. Uh, verse 12. So I'll, I'll read verse 11 again because it goes into verse 12. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Right? It goes back to that idea in verse 11 where it talks about the children of God and the children of the devil, right? Who belongs to God? Who belongs to devil? And we, we have Cain and Abel um, kind of as those two examples of children of God and children of the devil. Um, so, right, Cain fits the criteria from verse 10 of the one who is of the devil. His works were evil, right? He did not practice righteousness, and he hated his brother. That hate manifested itself in murder. It also mentions that Cain killed Abel because Abel's works were righteous and Cain's were not. Uh, verse 13 tells us, so don't be surprised when the world who is similar to Cain because they did not practice righteousness doesn't like you who are similar to Abel because you do practice righteousness. My bad, I got ahead of myself. I didn't read 13. <laughs> uh, yes, so thinking about Cain and Abel, uh, it says, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Right, so, yes, yeah, so I'll, say, I'll say what I said again. So, right, it says, do not marvel if the world hates you. So do not be surprised when the world, who is similar to Cain, right, they don't practice righteousness, and they hate others, they hate others. Don't be surprised when they, when that, the world doesn't like you because you, me, we're similar to Abel and we practice righteousness. Um, there's something about doing the right thing that makes, that ticks some people off, right? And I, I know a lot of us can attest to this. Um, verse 14 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever, hides his bro whoever hates his brother is a murderer, 
and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So still building on this picture of Cain and Abel, um, loving our fellow, fellow man or woman is the proof that we have the life of God in us, right? It proves that we are like Abel. Um, verse 15, I know I just read it, I'll read it again. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So there was hate from Cain towards Abel, which manifested itself into murder. So there is a similarity for anyone who hates another person. They are just like Cain, right? Having hate in your heart for another person makes you a murderer at heart. Um, these verses, right? And I say that if you hate someone in the correct circumstances, you will murder them. Right? It's very similar to what Jesus said. If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Right? If you've already done it in your heart, it's very possible that it can manifest in real life in the right circumstances. Um, so yes, hating someone is like murder. And it says here, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Um, Yeah, uh, I kind of freestyled that note. Okay, verse sixteen. Um, by this we know. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Uh, John fifteen thirteen says, "Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends." Um, and the NLT version says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So, uh, you know, as a husband and uh, all the husbands in here, um, I'm sure you're familiar with this verse. Wives, I'm sure you're familiar with this verse. Um, you know, as a husband, I think about how I am com commanded to love my wife. Um, Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So, right, Christ laid down his life for the church, and I ought to lay down my life for my wife and love her as Christ loves the church and as Christ loves me. Um, <clears throat> it tells me, it, or it tells us to lay down our lives for, the bro for brothers and sisters in Christ. Right, verse 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Uh, and, you know, this idea of love is, you know, agape love, right? This, this love is not just, oh, you know, I really like you. Oh, you're cool. You make me happy. You, you make me laugh. That, that's not the love that we're talking about. We're talking about the love that is sacrificial, that is, um, that is that is always giving, right? And it's never expecting anything in return. It's never taking, it's always giving, right? Um, there's this like, there's this comparison between um, love and lust, right? Lust is always taking. Love is always giving. It's always, always giving and never expecting anything in return. Um, and this is the type of love that John is speaking about, right? If you look up, if you look up, the word for love in the Greek, it's, it's agape, agape, agape. Um, 
uh, verse 17. It says, well, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Right? And like I just said, this agape love is always accompanied with an action that shows the love exists beyond just words. Um, verse 18, right, he says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Right? This love is always accompanied with an action that shows that the love exists. Right? There's, there's proof. There's proof in, in, in this word. Um, so verse, uh, verse 19 says, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts commends us, condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Now, this was like really confusing to me when I first read it. Um, and that's, that's really an encouragement, I think, to you. I want, I want to encourage you all, like, if you're reading the Bible and you're confused, um, you know, look it up in another uh, translation. Google it. Uh, there's this app I have called Enduring Word that really, really helps me out. Um, yeah, you know, we, we, we should be studying the Word, and we, we shouldn't be satisfied with just reading it just to say we did. I'm definitely guilty of that. You know, oh, let me get a chapter in just, you know, so I could be a good old Christian, right? It's, it's, it's deeper than that, right? We got to, like, really dig in. And what I love about teaching the word is that you really have to, like, go below the surface and really think about these things, right? Um, so verse 19, it says, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So, and it, it's talking about this agape love, right, that's, that is accompanied with the action. It says, and by this we know that we are of the truth. So because, because we are loving and in, in deed and in truth, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him, right? We shall be comfortable. We shall, be, we shall know that we are good with God, right? We are in right standing. Um, those actions of love will show us that we belong to the truth because we belong to Jesus. Uh, verse, verse 20 says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Right? But what if we have been walking in love, yet our heart still condemns us before God? John assures us that God is greater than our heart and so reminds us that we cannot base our relationship with him purely on how we feel in his presence. Condemnation can well up inside of us that has nothing to do with our standing before God. It may be the work of the enemy of our souls, um, which, is, which is Satan, right? Um, or of the work of an overactive conscience. At those times, we trust in God's word. We trust what God's word says about our standing and not how we feel about it. Uh, verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Yet when we are in fellowship with God and our heart does not condemn us, we know that we can have confidence toward God and, our, 
in our standing with him. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So back up to 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments, right? Answered prayers come with obedience. Um, you know, uh, or answered petition, something you ask of God, comes with obedience. Um, and if we are in complete obedience, loving God, loving our neighbor, um, if our heart is right with God, we would be asking for the things that he wants. And in that case, we will receive the things we ask for. Um, this is not because our love and obedience has earned us has earned us what we ask for, but our love and obedience comes from fellowship. And fellowship is the key to answer prayer. So the key to prayer is being in such close fellowship with God that we ask for the things that are on his heart. We take his agenda with our request and intercession. So, you know, it's, it's about being so close to God, so, so like him, that when we pray, we're praying for the exact things that he is going to do and that he wants to do. So we have to get, we have to get our will in complete alignment with God's. Um, I think about Jesus, right? Jesus was, I, I feel like I can say he was the only person in the history of the world whose will was in complete alignment with God's will, right? As a man, you know, he's still God, but as a man, his will was completely aligned, perfectly aligned with the will of God. Um, and he wanted exactly what God wanted. And me and you don't always want what God wants. I know I, know I don't. We do not always want that. Uh, but yeah, the key to having your prayers answered are getting closer to God. Um, aligning yourself, right? Aligning, adjusting the settings so you're perfectly aligned with God and you're just like him. So the spirit of true prayer, right, and, and the Lord's prayer is thy will be done, not my will be done, right? Uh, what is it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Right. Not my will be done. Your will be done. Right. And this is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Um, we turn the prayer to call into action what God desires, even knowing that some of the things God desires will directly and personally benefit us. And verse verse 24. Uh, verse 24, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. So those who abide in Jesus know they are abiding in Jesus because of the presence and the assurance of the Holy Spirit. John, again, is giving us the same idea as Romans 8.16, which says, excuse me, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
Amen.